Welcome to Summit Podcasts. This is Michael Bond. Today I'm speaking with pastors Colin McKnight and Todd Stanley. Colin is the campus pastor for Summit Blairsville, and Todd is the associate pastor at our Indiana location. In this episode, we are discussing part one of the sermon series titled The Gospel According To. This series is designed to compare the true gospel with other archetypal ideas set down in the culture. We want these sermon discussions to function much like the drive home from church. Imagine you just heard the message and you're talking it over with your friends and family. That unpacking process is what we hope to achieve here. In this conversation, we talk about why we need a hero, even when the culture tells us we can be our own heroes. Among other things, we discuss why suffering is guaranteed and what to do about it. Anyway, I found this discussion profitable and an excellent accompaniment to the sermon itself. If you missed part one of The Gospel According To, then I encourage you to watch it on demand at summitpa.church. As always, the audio from this sermon is available right here on summitpodcasts.church. Anyway, I'm really happy to have you here today, so without further delay, I bring you Colin McKnight and Todd Stanley. All right, so we are um, going to talk about the weekend message. We just started a series called The Gospel According To, and the thrust of this series is to take what I would call archetype, archetypal patterns, and we can even talk about that too, but the idea being that you have these messages in the culture, like the one that we just did was Disney, and it presents a type of worldview that when you place it in contradistinction to the gospel, you can see the differences and the similarities, but I think the differences are where things become important. You, you hear this in comparative religion too, that it's not the similarities that matter, but it's the distinctions that, that really matter. And that's where you have, you know, so for instance, and I don't want to go into the weeds right off the bat, but something like Islam. Um, in Islam, you have a lot of the same stories that you have in Christianity. But it's the distinctions that make the difference. And man, they make the difference. And so yeah. uh, when it comes to the gospel, according to we're dealing with pop culture, but we're also dealing with these very deep patterns of belief that I think resonate with so many people, which is why a lot of these stories are super um, popular. I mean, some of these stories are deeply popular. So let's go ahead and listen to the first clip and then we'll unpack it. So Disney tells us you, you don't need a hero. You are your own hero. You can do it. Just believe it. You can achieve it. But that's not what we see in the gospel. The gospel says you do need a hero. A few weeks ago, we finished up our series called uh, Holier Than Thou, and we talked explicitly about how we as sinful people need a hero. We need a savior that we can't save ourselves. We're incapable of saving ourselves. In fact, it says in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus to make up the difference for us. We need a savior. We need a hero. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this idea of needing a hero over against being your own hero. Um, I think this is super important because if we embark on our own on this journey, trying to uh, produce our own sanctification is just one element of it. That can only lead to bad things as far as I'm concerned, because if you're successful, you're going to become super proud. And with pride will become judgment of other people who aren't successful. So 
maybe let's just start off talking about this idea of needing a hero and maybe the humility that it, that comes that, that, that is uh, the, the humility which is the frame of mind which leads to the understanding that we need a hero. Well, I think just to to go back to maybe a little bit of what you're talking about in in your introduction, um, all stories are human stories. That's why these things resonate with us. It's our framework, right? Our, our, our the lens through which we are interpreting life that makes all the difference in the world. And so, if if I either believe that I am capable enough that I don't need a hero, or that there's not any other hero but me, uh, then then yeah, you're going to lead to a either so either i'm really good at keeping the rules right let's say it in, within that context either i'm really good at keeping the rules i can be my own hero so to speak and then yeah that results in pride that results in um you know me worshiping myself thinking that i have everything that i need i am everything that i need on the flip side of that if i believe that I have to be my hero, but I am consistently coming up against failure or difficulty. Uh, then, then I, you know, you descend into self-loathing. You descend into despair because I recognize that I can't save myself, but I'm responsible for saving myself. Mm-hmm. Being it's being the hero like you said, um, draws us into pride. And so um, we focus on ourselves, but even defining what a hero is, um, every hero, like we're taught in school, right? Uh, Greek mythology, every hero has a tragic flaw. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that's a human construct of a hero. Mm -hmm. So could it be that we've misinterpreted what a hero is or we've not defined it correctly? Um, again, this is well. That's yeah. I mean, that's pretty interesting because if you, if you like, let's say you make a movie where your protagonist or your hero is omnipotent and like there's nothing that can touch him. That's boring. It's it's the that makes for a boring movie. That's why I hate Superman. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, I mean, yeah. you know, Superman's a really good Kryptonite. example of that because I mean, you know but... he, he starts out as Superman and then next thing you know he's like juggling planets and you know he can do all these things and there's nothing that can touch him but then the kryptonite has to be introduced and I don't know if if was kryptonite part of the original story I'm not clear on my Superman history but maybe (laughs) it was something that they brought in to alleviate that problem the thing is about kryptonite is it's always disguised and he never knows it until he's already been exposed to it so like he may be all powerful but he's not all knowing Mm, and so that's the issue there so but anyway Anyway, we're we're on a rabbit yeah. trail, but but there's this fatal flaw, right? If we're going to go back to what Colin's yeah. example there, even even in that kind of Superman mythology, right, where he can do anything, and this is the this is the uh, error that we fall into, right? If if someone is really high capacity and they you know they they know how to make a lot of money and they've you know, they've got the most attractive spouse and they've, you know, got this, you know, they seemingly can do anything. Even in that context, there's there's that fatal flaw. There's that thing in us that we cannot remedy. 
Superman, for all of his great strength, cannot remove his uh, or overcome his weakness for kryptonite. There is, to bring it back to biblical context, right, there is sin that is there. There is brokenness that is there that he, you know, can't remedy himself. Yeah, and I think about like, okay, so we have two misunderstandings here that are at play that maybe come through Disney, but not just through Disney. They're like human understandings of heroes like we're talking about. The the misunderstandings might be A, that you can do it yourself. And we that's that was Mel's point and that's what kind of what we're talking about. But B, Colin, like what you're saying too, like our understanding of what a hero is. Because I think that this prop this misunderstanding of the hero, it manifests in uh, Todd, you touched on this with high capacity people, but I think it also happens when with uh, congregations and their pastors, if, if, if you're not careful to avoid it. And I think the pastor has to be careful to avoid this more than the congregation. And we can talk about that. But the idea that a person can be more than human, even a pastor, that because of his office or her office, she is she or he or she is greater than the people in the congregation and therefore doesn't have the same flaws as the people in the congregation. Now, I think that's a problem because I think that that creates the temptation to use the pastor as the surrogate for Christ. And I think that's the same mistake that um, Pastor Mel sort of touching on with this idea of being your own hero. You can make that same mistake in taking someone who is not fit to occupy the office of Christ and you put them in there and that can lead to nothing good. So maybe what are some ways for someone in the office of pastor to ensure that people don't start doing that with him or her? One way I can think of is get close enough to people to where they can see your flaws, but then you might lose the authority that comes with uh, being able to lead them. So what are some ways to walk through this as a pastor? I think you need to make it really clear why we need, again, back to this hero idea, but why do we need Christ as our hero? Why do we need a hero? In, in movies or in culture, like it's to fix a symptom. But really the reason we need a hero is to save us from ourselves. We, we, that's why we can't occupy that role. And so when a pastor is open about why he is dependent on God and why his yeah. life depends daily on the Holy Spirit to lead him, um, why, you know, his ways, his ideas, his programs aren't the way to go, what it is is his pursuit of God's calling for the church and God's vision for that church as he leads that body, that needs to come out. The, the role of a Christian is not to become a superhuman hero. That's not what God created us to do. Right. And that's not what the process of sanctification, that's not what the process of discipleship is about. It's not about building super strong, independent Christians. It's about creating people that are humble, and know that they fully rely on God's mercy in their life. Mm, yeah. And I think that this, uh, okay, so this is a, an interesting thought. I think this happens in the political landscape. So, uh, and here's why I think it happens. I think that we have an, an impulse towards religion, towards, towards relig religiosity, let's say, or spirituality. And I think almost everyone on earth has this. And I think that if we, you know, forsake the gathering of the saints, or we, we don't express that in the context of a church, we start to express it in domains that are not proper for it, like the political landscape. And I think that's where you end up with like a senator or some kind of politician transcending that office into becoming your own personal hero. And that's where things really get nasty. So like, 
there, there are lots of reasons to avoid casting yourself as the hero in your own story. And there are also lots of reasons to avoid casting other humans as your hero. And I think that, you know, if we put Christ in his proper office in our perspective, we can avoid that definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, Augustine talked about, you know, disordered affections and, and that's really what this all always this comes back to is whether or not Christ occupies the the chief place in the affections of our heart, um, and it expresses itself in all sorts of things. Whether it be me casting myself as the hero of my story, or whether it be like you're saying, you know, someone in a church congregation who puts their pastor on a pedestal and casts him as the hero of the story, uh, whether it be you know. A, a politician, whatever, whatever the case may be, when when we place something other than Jesus or someone other than Jesus in that chief place of our affections of our heart, if we are looking towards someone or something else to rescue us, then we are destined for disappointment. And that's the thing that it's not that God needs us to esteem him as the hero of our stories, the, the reality is he is the hero of the mm-hmm. story. And he he's the only one who will not disappoint, right? He's the only one on whom we can cast all of our cares and he won't be crushed by them, right? He's the only one who can stand up under the weight of my sin. He's the only one who could, you know. Uh, and so God, God calls us... To, to esteem him and place him as the chief among our affections because he knows that every other god, every other would-be savior, every other hero will ultimately disappoint us, mm-hmm. but he will not. He satisfies the deepest longing of our soul. So there's a trap here, and I want to know what you guys think about this. Um, <clears throat> it seems to me that there is a difference between self-confidence and confidence in Jesus, and yet there is a third difference in not having any confidence at all. I would say it is better to have self-confidence than to be insecure or to not have confidence at all. But I would say that it is infinitely even better than self-confidence to have confidence in Jesus. And so say you're dealing or talking to, dealing with or talking to an insecure person or someone who struggles with confidence. How do you walk them out of that insecurity without getting them uh, trapped in the snare of self-confidence but at the same time, like maybe they have to walk through self-confidence before they get to confidence in Jesus. Like, I don't want people to forsake self-confidence. And, and I, I, I say self-confidence because I think that's wrapped up in this idea of being the hero of your own story. Like if you think that you can do something on your own power, oftentimes you can do it. If you, if you really believe that and you work hard at it. Um, but that's not the end goal. That's not where we want to be as a final destination, but it still seems to me like that's better than insecurity. Do you think that it is? The the remedy for both is humility. Mm. So, um, <laughs> uh, supreme self-confidence and self-loathing are flip sides of the same coin. Mm. In, in either one, it is self that I am placing first. I, I either have no confidence in myself or I have great confidence in myself, but either way, I'm focusing on myself, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Mm, yeah. And so any, 
any framework that makes me conscious of me yeah. all of the time is 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 a misguided and wrong way of of seeing it's a wrong-headed way of living um so if so being confident in the gifts that god has given to to you or to me isn't the same thing as being self-confident mm. right uh because it's about where glory terminates yes if if glory terminates on me if i am confident in my ability well then then i'm missing the greater glory which is that the one who has created me has created me for purpose and these things are not created and placed in me so that they might terminate on me but so that they might terminate on him so that glory might go to him and so uh, on the flip side of that if i don't feel like i have any gifts or abilities or value or whatever i, I you know i fall into that lack of self-confidence or self-loathing kind of place well in that same way I am saying that my confidence is still in me or in my lack mm-hmm. of ability. My lack of confidence is in me rather than in the one who created me, who is able to overcome my weakness, who is able to transcend my lack and prove himself and show himself mighty and glorious in every situation. And so they're, they're flip sides. They're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It, 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 it both is, a, is an over-focusing on self and a lack of awareness of God. Both extremes are very dangerous. I mean, like he said, like, again, your focus is wrong. Um, I think we see in culture today, uh, the pendulum has swung for self-confidence. We celebrate things that are not, should not be celebrated, but we're like, they're confident, they're bold, go for it. And then everybody watches, like you watch a train crash. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. when, when something goes terribly wrong, when we see terrible things happening to a group that's accepted things that, are, that they're bold about and they believe greatly about but are detrimental to themselves, but since they're confident about it, we celebrate that. Um, when it all goes wrong, everybody goes, oh, yeah, we knew that was, we knew that was dangerous. Mm, yeah. You know, or, or the opposite direction. Um, the pandemic that we face today is not a virus uh, suicide, self-harm, that is mental health is definitely a pandemic that is huge right now. And again, it's the opposite direction. Um, You know, we, we don't take care of our depression. We don't take care of our depressed. We don't recognize um, people who um, are suffering silently, privately. Um, You know, we don't, we don't do enough to recognize that until the disaster hits. Mm. Then we go, oh yeah, we knew they were going down a wrong path. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I don't, I don't know, both sides are very dangerous. Um, but again, I, I love the idea of humility as an antidote to this. Todd, what I think you beautifully articulated is the false dichotomy between insecurity and self-confidence. Because here's the thing, you could have no talents at all. Like you could have very little gifting. And if you make self-sacrifices out of love for the people around you, Man, you're going to be valued. Yeah. Like people are going to sure. value you. They're going to lift you up. Like, and well, Jesus Himself said, "If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, serve everyone." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't take a great amount of ability to serve people, right? Um, but that will create a type of greatness that transcends everything else. Right, 
we may talk about Michael Jordan, right, and his prowess on the basketball court. Michael Jordan didn't change my life. Yeah. Right? But that Sunday school teacher who taught me God's word and loved me, you know, like show you know show me the love of Jesus every week that that impacted my my life in a way that Michael Jordan never could and in a way that is far more valuable to yeah. me in my shaping and my formation and who I am as a person than you know and so we we sometimes just misdefine what greatness yes. really is yeah and that really bespeaks this problem of having like the the false version of the hero or like the disordered affections like you were talking about versus like the way things actually are because it here's the thing you can think that michael jordan's going to change your life and you can wish that he's going to but in reality it is the sunday school teacher and you can't really stop that because that's the way you are that's the way you're designed and so if your affections are disordered it doesn't change the way god designed you the design's still imprinted on you and so like man that's that's really good so, uh, Colin, you were talking about like um, tragedies and things that kind of, uh, I would call them like black swan events, like things we're not expecting coming in and just completely shaking up the order of everything. And so that brings us into Pastor Mel's next point. So I'm going to roll that and then we'll talk about it. The gospel says you're not guaranteed a happy ending. And I know that's not popular, but this is what the word of God says. The word of God says in John 16, 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is like his farewell address. And he says, I've told, when he, he tells them about the Holy Spirit, he tells them he's got to go away. And then he resolves this and he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Remember, he says, peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. <laughs> the only thing he says here that he promises is you'll have peace in me, and you're going to have sorrows. Doesn't that just bless you? Doesn't that just encourage you? Oh, we're going to have trouble. Yes, come on. Oh, we're going to have suffering. People get excited about some suffering, right? Jesus said suffering is guaranteed. If you are breathing in and out, suffering is guaranteed. It's going to happen. And this is contrary to what Disney tells us. Disney tells us, hey, the, the story's going to turn out. You just hang on. It's going to be perfect. And what we see in Scripture is in this life, suffering is guaranteed. And there is no promise of a happy ending. Okay, so if everyone had had this in their head at the end of 2019, hmm. I think 2020 would have gone very differently. And it's not just these big scale events. It's, it, it happens on the personal level, too. Yeah, I think this is part of the reason why it's commonly understood that your first breakup is your hardest one, because it's not just that you're, you know, and a breakup is just one example of many things. Like maybe your first time being fired from a job is also the hardest one. Like, And the reason is because you have this framework of preconceived notions about the nature of reality. And then this thing comes in and smashes it to pieces. And I have to think that there's a way to prepare people for these events and these things to come into their life so that when it happens, they just have to deal with the phenomenon itself. They don't have to deal with the dissolution of their worldview also. And so here's, here's where we go with this, I think. Um, I don't know when to start teaching people this, and I don't know how to teach them that. I don't know what age is appropriate to teach them that, but I know I feel like they have to know this because if they don't, they're going to learn it the hard way. And... 
I think one of the greatest mistakes that a Christian can make, a new Christian, whether they're a small child or whether they are an adult, it's probably worse if they're an adult, but I think you can make the case it's worse if they're a small child too. You convert and you think that you're going to have a happy ending and you carry that in. You import that, that belief mm-hmm. from the outside world and you make it part of your, uh, part of your worldview in, in Christ. And then when it doesn't happen, you've been betrayed by God. And it's like, where do you go yeah. from there? So in response to when do we start teaching it, I don't know that there's a clear-cut answer to that uh, other than to say, rather than try to avoid it, we acknowledge it when it comes, right? Every child at some point is going to have a loved one who passes away. Every child at some point is going to have, you know, that girl or boy that had a crush on at school that breaks their heart or every, you know, we're all going to face difficulty. We're all going to face trouble. The problem that we have in terms of either parenting or discipling people, uh, which are very similar things, by the way, um, the trouble that we have is that we create a, a false narrative, right? For example, as a, I used to, as, well, I still somewhat can't stand when I hear people say this, but I used to really get angry when I would hear people say, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, (laughs) right? It makes me so angry, not because it's not true. God's plan is wonderful. His ways are higher than ours. His desires for us are greater than ours. But the context in which that is always painted is that Hey, come to Jesus and he'll fix your marriage. Come to Jesus and he'll fix your family. Come to Jesus and he'll fix this and he'll fix that and he'll fix... And it's a false narrative because God cares deeply about those things. And if we allow him to work in those things, yes, he brings restoration, he brings healing, he brings wholeness. Um... But it's not, it's not a guarantee just because I come, you know, and, and say a prayer on a Sunday. Because God is far more concerned with developing the image of Christ in me than he is in alleviating the momentary suffering that I am undergoing. In addition to that, like, if you look at, and I'm, I'm on my soapbox now, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> if you look at, so, so let's say, let's say God calls you... Uh, to the, into a missionary endeavor in a place in the world where there is persecution and there is uh, opposition to the gospel. And God's plan for your life is to lead you into that place, and in that place you suffer and you die for your faith. That, on the, on the surface at least, that's not the most wonderful plan. Right, yeah. Right? It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It's not. And yet, for those of us who know Christ, and, and if we can honestly say in the way that the Apostle Paul said, I count everything else as loss when compared to the surpassing glory of Christ Jesus, of knowing Christ, then we will gladly and with joy face that kind of hardship because we get Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And if we want to talk about and, and frame this in ways 
that will sustain people in the storms of life, it's that we need that understanding. Hey, you get Jesus. You get all of him. You get the surpassing glory of knowing him and being known by him. And of course, then we have to begin to disciple people and and help them to understand and to grow into the knowledge of what that means and what it is to live in that reality and in that truth. But we have far too often settled for and defaulted to Jesus wants to make your life better. Uh, Man, and that's just not, that's just not what the Bible holds out for us. Jesus wants to make me whole. That's a different prospect. Well, I think we have misunderstanding. So when I was a child, right, Sunday school, I always wanted to hear about heaven, right? And I think what we've done with our, the, the way that we practice our belief is we've removed heaven from the equation. That's something for after I die. That's not something that I consider now. But if we decide that our happy ending is now, that our healing is today here. Now, again, I believe in and physical healing. I believe in God restoring marriages. I believe God does miracles today, but I can guarantee you that the miraculous work that takes place in heaven is far greater than what takes place here on this earth. And if we are saying that our life is supposed to be unicorns, cupcakes, and rainbows here, what we're doing is removing the glory of heaven when we receive that. Um, in the midst of suffering, C.S. Lewis, since you, since you said C.S. Lewis, I had to find something in my head from C.S. Lewis. He says that suffering is a megaphone for a deaf world. What that means is it shows us our weakness, but it opens an opportunity for us to receive the one that can bring healing to our lives, and that's obviously Christ. Yeah, so what I'm hearing here is that if you're going to teach about the glorious work of God and his his work of redemption, you better teach it from the framework of eternity. If you're not teaching from the framework of eternity, just stay away from the, the, uh, you know, all the health, wealth and happiness kind of stuff. <laughs> like you, because here's the thing. And in, in the book of Hebrews, I think what is commonly known as like the hall of faith, right? We go through this, just this list of biblical actors who are renowned for their great faith, who virtually all of them had a tragic ending. Yes. And they're just like passing through, like they didn't get their reward here and they're lifted up. The Bible lifts them up as great actors of faith. And so it's like, if we're going to be like that, if we're going to be great actors of faith as well, why should we expect a different ending in a world that is fully, fully oppositional to God? Uh, And it's like, I don't want people to hear this and think that, a life in Christ is burdensome and is just misery all the time, all the way yeah, down. No, no. Like, but at the same time, we are in the midst of spiritual warfare here. And to expect a life of health, wealth, and happiness, even if you're not in Christ, I think is impossible. I don't think you can arrive at that in this, in this world. Um, and so these things, this idea of redemption and this idea of suffering restored and all of that, it has to be taught through the framework of eternity. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think we have to have the, the perspective that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, right, when they were facing the fire. And they said, we are fully confident, right, that our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, mm-hmm. we will not bow. It's holding that tension, 
right, of knowing that God can and believing that he will. That, And at the same time going, but even if he doesn't, right, there is a glory. There is something greater that my faith and my trust and my hope is in. See, we need a, we need, we need a, a theology and a, a faith that will sustain us when difficult times come. Yeah. Well, right? If my expectation is that God's great desire for me is for me to be happy and healthy and wealthy, well, when I don't get those things, I will lose my faith in God. Mm, yeah. If I see those things as grace upon grace, yes. Yeah. Then I can appreciate them for what they are. And again, then glory terminates on God. If I believe that God's great desire for me is that I have those things, then my worship will terminate at those things. If I believe that God's great desire for me is that I know him and that I have him and that I spend eternity with him, then everything else is grace on top of that. And then glory terminates where it should. Mm -hmm. My affections are set on Jesus, whatever may come in this life. Yeah. And with that perspective, it seems to me like what you end up having with the, the grace on grace perspective is that it's just all upside from there, really. I mean, yes, physically, you may be persecuted. You may be locked into a prison. You may have lots of uncomfortable things happen to you. But even, okay, having those uncomfortable things happen to you is one thing. Having those uncomfortable things happen to you and also losing your faith in the midst of it is a whole universe of, of worse. Yeah. And you just don't want to run that risk. And I think that, um, well, we glorify people that walk through pain. We glorify people that walk through suffering. Well, yeah, but we also look down on people that give up. Mm. Like we have such a, a strong allergy to pain, but we forget, uh, parenting is painful, <laughs> right? Like if anybody in their right mind before they were to have their child, like if, if God just revealed before them how much pain you would go through and how much sacrifice, how much that child would cost you, what the things you'd have to lay down, um, I think a lot of parents would have a real decision to make there, right? That's the grace of God that we don't, obviously. But parents that do stick it out or, or marriage, marriage is about you know working things out together. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sacrifice there to work through. But it's the mercy of God to walk through it and to walk through it well. Now, I think as society, if we're honest, or as individuals, if we're honest, we look down on people that don't walk through it well. So there is an mm -hmm. underlying um, virtue or value to embracing pain. I mean, um, bodybuilders, uh, professional athletes, they endure the pain of training because they understand the prize. Paul obviously talks about that right in his letters, but uh, we... We value that, but we forget that because we're so afraid of, of a catastrophic pain. Um, Lance Armstrong, hate him, love him, whatever, right? He had these little yellow bands that were like a dollar, and it seemed like everybody wanted to support this great cause because, well, he, he was using some other things to overcome cancer, but, you know, he, everybody celebrated him. And then there was this movement of celebrating people that walked through cancer treatments well or finished their fight even if they lost their fight to cancer, finishing it well. Yeah. And there's, there's something inspirational there. So there's something to be said about pulling pain and suffering out of the picture. Uh, we're losing 
what's really valuable there. Yeah, Colin, that's an excellent point. So uh, we touched earlier on how even if you aren't a super talented person, if you are willing to sacrifice yourself in the love of others, people will value you and lift you up. And this, I think, is of a piece with this idea of walking through pain well. If you want people to love you and to feel secure around you, then demonstrate the stability of a house that's built on a firm foundation Mm -hmm. when you're in the midst of suffering. Man, I can't think of anything that makes people feel more secure around you. Like when they know, okay, when things are going to get difficult, this person is going to be calm, is going to be stable, is going to remain rational, is going to be able to make decisions, is going to protect me. Like all of those things, you can have that even if you're not exceptionally gifted in ability. You just have to be able to walk through suffering well. And I think that being in Christ like we've been talking about, gives you the foundation that you need to be able to endure the suffering in a way that honors God and man. Well, yeah, and to see suffering as an opportunity to honor God. I think, I think sometimes we either see it as a punishment, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm walking through this because I did something wrong. You know, people think that or, you know, um, or God doesn't care, right? We think we're walking through suffering because God doesn't care and he's ignored us and all that. But if we see suffering as an opportunity for God to be glorified, it it changes the the conversation. It changes how we approach it, how we walk through it, how we, you know, all of that. Um, Some of you may be familiar with Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler is a pastor in Texas uh, maybe 10 years ago now. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, he uh, collapsed in his living room, had a seizure, was taken to the hospital, discovered that he had a tumor in his brain. Uh, malignant, I think, stage four. I mean, like, prognosis was not good. I mean, they maybe a week after he got his diagnosis, he was still in the hospital. I remember that distinctly. He was still in the hospital when he posts on his blog Um and the title of the post on the blog is How to Not Waste a Good Cancer. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And so we're talking just just days into the doctor telling you you've got cancer in your brain, you've got a tumor, you know, your your chances of living are not good. His response to that was to say, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. My days may be limited, but I'm going to walk through this suffering well, and I'm going to allow the Lord to use this in ways that can bring honor to Him. When we see suffering in that way, man, it changes things. It changes the conversation. Um, My grandfather, uh, who, man, he's one of my heroes, Um, so he, he told me a story once. He was having some back trouble. Like, I'm not sure exactly what had happened, but he was in pretty significant amount of pain. And he always had this, he had a little metal building, like basically just a shed behind his house, but he had converted it into kind of a small office space and place where he would go and pray. Kept his library of books in there. And um, and so he was out in his shed praying one day, and he said his back was really hurting. And he prayed and said, Lord, I'd prayed that the Lord would heal his back. And he said, uh, he felt the Lord speak to him, right? And he said, he said, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, why should I heal you? And uh, my grandpa said, I I knew 
that I wasn't supposed to answer the question, right? I'm supposed to wait. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, and so he said, I just waited because I knew that the Lord was trying to teach me something. And he said, I felt like the Lord spoke again and said, do you want me to heal you so that you will be out of pain? Or do you want me to heal you so that I will be glorified? Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, my grandpa said, I, I had to admit to myself that that my my prayer was just so that I my pain would be alleviated. Mm-hmm. And it's not that God doesn't care about those our pain. It's not that God doesn't care about our suffering. But again, it's that when our view is limited to those things, when we don't see it as an opportunity for God to be glorified, then we miss the greater part of what's going on. We miss the greater opportunity that's there. I think more often than not, we just want to escape suffering when God is up to something greater and deeper and of far more value. Yeah, and what's so cool about what about that story, Todd, is what you said at the beginning about how your grandpa is one of your heroes for you. And like I think about this, like, you know, going back to Mel's original point about how we need a hero and the idea of like loving self-sacrificially and, and embodying servant leadership the way Christ taught and also uh, walking through suffering on a firm foundation and being able to honor God in the midst of your suffering. Like you do all those things and you become a hero to other people. Like, it, and, and in a healthy way, I think. I think yeah. it's like, a because what it is, is Christ is shining through you and, and when, when you conduct yourself that way. And Christ is the hero. And so like you, you become a hero to other people. And I think that's just, that that strengthens a community. It strengthens a family. It, it's It's nothing but positive when someone's able to do that. All right, we have one more piece from Pastor Mel, so let's hear it. The last thing is this, the gospel according to Disney says, just believe, just believe. Um, think about Pinocchio. In Pinocchio, we have Geppetto at the beginning and at the end of the movie. He, he falls on his knees, he clasps his hands, and he begins to pray out a window, but he's not praying to God. He's praying to the, the blue fairy princess or whatever it is. And she comes in and what are your wishes? And you're, you're moral. So I'm going to give you what you want. That's basically how this goes. It's, it's quasi, it's spiritual. It's quasi religious. Okay. So I think about like this idea of just belief or this sort of new age spirituality. Um, now I have an opinion on this that I think might be, it's either unpopular or it's wrong or both. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> we're about to find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. I think that people in our generation have lost their belief in belief. Like they don't really understand how much implication their worldview has on the on the determination of the quality of their life. Like I don't think they understand <laughs> that what they believe literally determines what they perceive and how they move about in the world, and it's literally authoring the rest of their story. I don't think that people understand that, but I think there's something in people that recognizes that this is true, which is why we have this, this archetypal idea of just believe that, that Pastor Mel's talking about over against belief in Christ. And so first we can talk about whether or not by and large people understand the significance of worldview because I don't think they do, but I may be wrong about that. Um, and then maybe after that, we can talk about the difference between just believing 
having being a faithful person over against having faith in Christ. Wow. Um, belief itself, like, I don't know if belief, like me sitting here just being full of belief about something changes anything. The things that I believe in, if I believe in a principle, then it changes my perspective. Am, am I not answering the question there? Probably we're heading a different direction maybe. But if I believe in a principle and I believe that principle is true and that changes what I will do with my life. And then whether that principle bears fruit or good fruit, bad fruit, or no fruit at all, then that's, that is the process of changing things. Um, Pastor Mel did mention like, do we believe in magic, right? I think sometimes people sit in their belief about something just good to happen. Like, uh, when people aren't well or uh, when people are going through something and people are like, hey, kind thoughts or happy thoughts or mm -hmm. thinking yeah. good things or so whatever people say, right? Um, I generally say I'll pray for you or I don't say anything at all if I'm not really going to pray for them. But uh, thinking kind thoughts, um, I don't know. Well, so yeah, like is quasi-spiritual better than not spiritual at all? Because like I no. can see... <laughs> <laughs> Done. That's a, Now that's an interesting point because I think there are many people who would say yes. And, but the danger there is that 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 is idolatry essentially, right? Like if you embark down a quasi-spiritual path, not only are you wrong, but you'll feel like you're right. Yeah. And that's where you get into real trouble. Look, uh, A.W. Tozer said, you know, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh-huh, yes. So uh, it is possible to be sincerely wrong. <laughs> yes. Right? If, if I believe that I can fly, no matter how much I believe it, if I go jump off the top of a skyscraper tomorrow, I will hit the ground. And it will be a devastating end. Yes. Right? Because it's not enough just to believe. What we believe about God is just as important, maybe more so than believing that there is a God. Yeah, yeah. And so, man, look, this is, that's why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to recognize that, look, it's not enough for your for your neighbor or your friend to give mental assent to the idea that there's a god it's not enough for them you know the stakes are far too high and what we are facing and what they are facing in terms of eternity is far too important for us to leave ambiguities and uh, not be clear about what Scripture says and about what what who and God has declared Himself to be. The the fact that all roads don't lead to Rome and all roads certainly don't lead to heaven. Like these are important important questions that love should compel us to answer clearly. Mm -hmm. Because man, look, some vague spirituality is is not going to get it. Yeah. Uh, every every belicism has a claim to exclusivity. Everyone, even the ones that say all road gets to all you know, all roads get to heaven. Mm -hmm. All roads get. That's an exclusive claim. Yes. You yes. are still saying to everyone else, <laughs> your position on this is wrong. Mine is right. Yes. Right. We cannot avoid exclusivity because truth is not 
an abstract thing. Yeah. Truth is not subjective. It is objective. And we have to we have to teach in that way. We have to live in that way. We have to pursue truth in that way. Yes. Um, because, yeah, vague spirituality is not going to get us there. I, I almost think that there's nothing more important than pursuit of truth because of this. Like, we understand the devastating consequence of leaping off of a building with the false belief that we can fly. Like... Every, everyone understands, everyone seems, un- there's probably someone in the world who doesn't understand that. I hate to use, you know, all-inclusive terms like everyone. But. Someone that's never fallen before. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, well, it's only, though, if if there has been some something that has caused them to be disconnected from reality as it is. Yes, and the, the danger with that is that the truth reasserts itself. Yes. And like, here's the thing. Okay. And this goes back to the idea of having disordered affections versus the reality of God's design that's imprinted on you, essentially. It's like, you can believe something about yourself or in the nature of reality. And if you're wrong, the truth is going to reassert itself over you. And the, the consequences of that often are tragic like, yes. because you can't navigate this space with a bad map. You know, you're, you're going to get lost. You're going to fall into a ditch. Like all these things are going to happen to you because there is a design. There is a reality. There is a truth. And your relationship to that truth, I don't know if there's anything more important than that. Hmm. And uh, so maybe a place where we can wrap this up is just thinking about people who are quasi-spiritual or people who are seekers, people who are looking for something. What do we tell them about why the distinctions in religion are the important pieces over against like the similarities? Um, Like, how would you guide somebody? So someone walks into your church today and they are seeking, but they also believe in crystals or, you know, or whatever it is, like some kind of a, some kind of thing that's popular in new age spirituality. And because they are like a sponge, lots of things are getting in. What's your first step towards getting them back on the road to truth? I mean, the, I think the first step is just reasserting a clear uh, depiction of the gospel, right? Uh, pro- Proclaiming, professing Christ as Savior and Savior alone, you know, um, because it really always comes back to our tendency toward idolatry, our tendency mm-hmm. towards something else to save us. So, like, you know, you brought up the idea of crystals. Well, the the problem there is that then I am trusting in something other than Jesus to save me, to heal me, to fix me, to, you know, there's there's some other source, right? When Scripture's clear declaration is that God is our source. He is the source of every good thing. He is the source of salvation. He is the wellspring of life. He is, you know, He is all in all, and that He alone should be worshipped. And so if I am giving my attention, if I am giving my devotion, if I am giving my faith and trust to some other thing, some created thing, some lesser thing, then again, I'm going to be set up for disappointment. I'm going to be set up for failure. I'm going to be set up for a place where, you know, um, 
because ultimately everything else will fall, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess mm-hmm. that yeah. Jesus is Lord. Oh yeah, yeah, that uh, that final reassertion of the truth, right? I mean, I would come alongside somebody, again, when someone comes into the church, whether you see it or not, uh, we carry with us certain beliefs that we that we pair with the gospel, either from life experiences or from former teaching or from our faith background, or maybe we did come from a very uh, syncretistic uh, religious faith or whatever that looked like in the past. Again, I would challenge them strongly. What is your pursuit level here? Like, what are you looking for? Um, do you just want some, like some nice sayings, somebody that you'll believe was a good person? Um, there's lots of religions that believe Jesus was a good person, maybe even a prophet, um, that he did miracles. There's a certain, uh, level of pursuit there and it ends. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is your level of pursuit here? Yeah. Because there is, uh, absolutely more than we could ever possibly fully understand, but there is a ton of stuff that we could pursue for the rest of our life Mm -hmm. in pursuit of a relationship, not just knowledge outside of relationship, but a a, a knowing of God, Mm -hmm. not just facts. And, um, you know, really testing the waters there. Because uh, again, like again, back to crystals or whatever's popular in culture, those things fade. I mean, it takes like two weeks for something to not be popular anymore now, Mm -hmm. but there is something that is timeless with Christ. There is something timeless with the word of God. And and that is, uh, that's something very special, but it's something to be pursued. Yeah. I think, yeah. At the end of the day, either we in the church are bold enough you know, while being wise enough and loving enough to embrace the exclusive nature of truth, or we are in a position where we're waiting for reality itself to do it, 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 often at the cost of just very tragic consequences. Yeah, and I think too, going, maybe this brings us kind of full circle, coming back to the idea of humility. Look, in for us as well, like, as as I'm walking with someone maybe who has an idol in their life. I have to have the humility to recognize that there are things that are competing for my affections as well. There are there are things that I have placed an inordinate faith in, an inordinate trust in, that God is rooting out in me as well. And so if I approach it with some sense of superiority towards someone else, rather than in humility, knowing that any anything I may have gained is only by God's grace, uh, then, you know, then I, then really I shouldn't be walking with that person because I'm only going to serve to push them down so that I might feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's never the place we want to be as people who are, we, you know, again, it, it's it's got to come back to the glory of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that we are walking this journey together as God uh, enables us and as God gives grace to us to do so. And if, we, if we're not doing that, then we, again, we, we set ourselves up to be the hero. And then I'm going to disappoint somebody. Like, if they think that, that I've got it all together, then, and I let them think that, 
right? I, I let that that lie go uncontested, then I'm gonna I'm gonna disappoint them, and I could damage and wound their faith and their you know. Man, I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be in. That's just not not a healthy place for for me or for the people that God has you know given me some influence with. Yeah, that's a that's a great place to wrap up. Hey, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you. We love you, and we hope this has been helpful for you. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Well, that was a powerful conversation. I hope you learned more about Pastor Mel's message, as I'm sure we ourselves did. Next week, we will unpack the second part of the gospel according to, and I'm excited to dive into that. As always, if you find this content valuable, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. Don't forget to subscribe at summitpodcast.church forward slash subscribe. This is your home base for all things Summit Audio. Whether you're in Blairsville, Indiana, or anywhere else in the Summit community, I hope you know we all love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you in the next episode.